Father, we uh, come uh, maybe tired from the week, maybe uh, discouraged, maybe joyful, um, but you have something to say to us in every situation, and in every situation, the proper response is worship. So I pray that uh, this our, our 45 minutes together would be more than just um, education. It would cause us to worship you, God, because you are worthy of that. So we give this time to you. And uh, open my lips and open our ears. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, we are going through a, a short Christian biography series. And we did this about four and a half years ago. Um, and the reason why I, I decided this is something that's worthwhile is because one of the best ways we can learn, one of the best ways we can um listen to what God is doing in our life. It's to listen to what God has been doing in other people's lives. And uh, what we're going to do for this week, next week, and the uh, two weeks after that is go through the lives of three people. Um, the first person is William Cooper. And this is the second time I've taught, taught about his life because I think it's so compelling. Next week is the, the life of Esther Ahn Kim. She is a, um, a Korean lady who spent time in a Japanese prison for her faith. And then finally, the final lesson is on a guy named Rich Mullins, um, one of my favorite, one of my heroes. So I'm super excited about that series, or that lesson. But today we're going to talk about the life of William Cooper. And if you guys pay attention, or if you guys are the type to listen to, uh, or to, to find the names of the people who write the songs that we sing on Sundays, you might find this name, William Cooper, because we sing one of his, his songs in church. His, this song is... There is a fountain filled with blood. Uh, it's one of the classic hymns of the church. And uh, there's so much that goes into... When you understand his life, the lyrics of his songs make so much more sense. So we're going to dig into his life. Um, but first, let me start off with a psalm to prepare us. And this is a familiar psalm. This is Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. This psalm is... um, It's a well-known psalm, and I think it's something that at some point in our lives we're going to say... Whatever the psalmist is writing about, this applies to me. Have we ever been in a pit? Have we ever felt like there was there was despair closing in on us? Have we ever felt hopeless? The theme of the Christian life is God's redeeming love. It's God doing his work in our life. It's God uh, sovereignly working all things out for our good, even when it doesn't seem like it. And William Cooper is a guy whose life... For a long part of his life, it didn't seem like God was active. It didn't even seem like God cared about William Cooper. And he felt this deeply. And what what I find so compelling about his life is that I think that there are things in his life that will echo in our own life. Meaning, have you ever felt like God wasn't there? Have you ever felt that... Have you ever felt depression? Have you ever... Uh, felt like there, like there was just nothing to live for. For William Cooper, he felt that all the time. 
And I think his life has uh, a lot to teach us about how we live through that. And um, even if we don't feel that ourselves, how we can help people through these times. So does everyone have a sheet? Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to read some of his poems slash songs. We're going to go through his life and then we'll pull some application from his life. All right. So uh, William Cooper, he he was born in 1731 in England and for the most part, he had an uneventful childhood, except for the fact that his mother died when he was six years old. And he was left alone with his father. His father sent him to a boarding school. And from all accounts, he, we don't have, we don't know much about his father because even though William Cooper was a, he wrote a lot, he didn't say much about his father. And um, there's speculation that it wasn't a very good relationship that they had. It wasn't that it, there was uh, abuse. It wasn't that there was anything that was outright wrong about the relationship. It was more that his father seemed kind of absent, and uh, he didn't really care that much for what was going on internally in his son. Um, didn't care that much, even though his mother died. Uh, he didn't care that much for uh, what was what emotions he was feeling. So. Uh, while he was a, a, a child in this boarding school, there was an incident that that he alludes to in one of his writings, and it was an older boy. He was about thirteen years old who would constantly torment William Cooper. And there, the details are very scarce, but um, some people think that he may have been sexually abused by this boy because whatever happened, there's something that happened in his life that affected him, or something that happened in his childhood that affected him for the rest of his life. So, uh, number one, the death of his mother, which he didn't properly grieve. Number two, there was a, a boy that, he, decades later, he, William Cooper would still remember that he was tormented by this boy. So, this kind of set the stage for his life. Um, so, he did not have a happy childhood, and um, even though there was no, besides the death of his mother, even though there was no, no one thing that defined it, we just, from looking at his writings, we get the sense that it was not a, a great childhood. So in 1749, when he was, what's this, uh, 18 years old, he fell in love with his cousin. And I guess back then, back in the 18th century, this was not as scandalous as it might be today. It was still weird. And um, his cousin's father did not approve of it, even though he let it happen. But this, even though they, uh, even though William Cooper didn't um, do anything with his cousin, even though... He may have thought about marrying her, but that never happened. He, over the course of his life, he wrote 14 poems about her, um, referring to her as someone else. But we know that he was referring to his cousin because this is the closest he ever came to having a romantic relationship. So um, so it, it, this stuck with him. Um, so finally, we get to uh, 1752 when he entered his first major period of depression. He was 21 years old, and he, uh, I don't know if you guys know anyone that suffers from depression, or maybe you have felt it yourself. Um, people just fall into it, um, and it's, depression is a very complicated issue. Um, my wife is a therapist, and she talks to people with depression all the time. It's super common. I'd be surprised if we don't have a good number of people at IGC that suffer from it. But um, he entered in, into this paralyzing depression. And let me read to you 
uh, a quote from this time, and this is how he describes this period of depression. He says, I was struck with such a dejection of spirits as none but they who have felt the same can have the least conception of it. Day and night I was upon the rack, lying down in horror and rising up in despair. I presently lost all relish for those studies to which before I had been closely attached. The classics, meaning the writings that he used to enjoy reading, had no longer any charms for me. I had need of something more salutary than amusement, but I had not one to direct me where to find it. So he says that during this time of depression, he describes this time as uh, being put upon a rack and lying down in horror at night. And whenever he woke up, he just rose up in despair. And um, I'll be talking about depression uh, throughout this lesson, but one thing that I think... If we don't understand depression, um, we need to understand that there are people that suffer from it. And just because the effects don't show immediately, um, we have no idea how difficult it is for them. I read uh, a book by by a guy named um, William Styron, and he wrote a book called Darkness. I think it's Darkness Visible, and it's a short memoir. You can, if you guys can find it on uh, Amazon, it takes like three hours to read, but it's his experiences with depression and he talks about depression is you feel nothing but you still feel this like the lack of pain hurts you and you feel this there's no desire to do anything you don't want to talk to anyone you don't want to get up and brush your teeth you don't want to engage with the world all you feel is this blackness this darkness that settles upon you and this is what defined William Cooper's life for a long, long time. So 21 years old, this is when it first hit him. So let's continue on in his life. Um, he, uh, he entered into his second bout of major depression when he was uh, 30, 32 years old. And what prompted this was his father was in the government in, um, in Britain and he wanted to get his son a job. So this was as a clerk in the office, in the, this was called the Office of the Commissioner of Bankrupts. And for whatever reason, someone decided we should all interrogate, we should all interview William Cooper. And so there were a group of men who gathered upon him and they interviewed him. And this was kind of, I mean, just think of a big group interview. And this was so difficult for him. He says that um, it, it caused him such distress that this plunged him into a second Great Depression in his life. And this is how he describes this time. All the horrors of my fears and perplexities now returned. A thunderbolt would have been as welcome to me as this interrogation. Those whose spirits are formed like mine, to whom a public exhibition of themselves on any occasion is mortal poison. Mortal poison, that's what he says this time was may have some idea of the horror of my situations. Others can have none. So, this period broke him. This, this depression broke him. Um, to the point where, after this, he, tr- he, he got some poison, and he, he wasn't able to take it the first time around. Um, he, he wanted to die on the spot. But he went home, and he found that he, he, his fingers weren't able to hold onto the poison. He just dropped it. So he tried hanging himself that night three times. Three times he failed. The next morning, someone found him with um, a noose around his neck. He was just lying in bed. So he failed at killing himself. 
um, he was sent to an insane asylum at this point because people realized there's something really wrong with him. By the grace of God, there was a doctor by the name of Nathaniel Cotton who, who not only treated him, uh, his depression and his, they called it insanity. Um, I don't, they didn't have as uh, good an understanding of mental health back then as we do now. Even now, we don't have a great understanding of mental health. But back then, it was just, you're crazy, you're insane. There was a doctor by the name of Nathaniel Cotton who ministered to him. And um, there was a Bible in this insane asylum. And William Cooper, he, at this point, he opened it up. He, he had knowledge of the Bible. He had knowledge of the Christian uh, story because back then in the 18th century pretty much everyone did you had at least a basic understanding um, so he, he opened to the book of Romans and he read um, Romans chapter 3 and it was at this point he felt a conviction of his sin he he realized I tried to kill myself and he considered that this was an offense to God because he was taking his own life into his own hands he said I'm going to do what I'm going to do and he was struck by this uh, just something hit him that never hit him before. This kind of spiritual light just shone upon him. And this is what he says. Conviction of sin took place, especially of that just committed, meaning his attempted suicide. The meanness of it, as well as its atrocity, were exhibited, exhibited to me in colors so inconceivably strong that I despise myself with a contempt not to be imagined or expressed. So he's talking about he's really feeling the sin now. This sense of it secured me from the repetition of a crime which I could not now reflect on without abhorrence. So he hated the fact that he tried to commit suicide. A sense of God's wrath and a deep despair of escaping it instantly succeeded. So he feels this conviction of sin, but then he continues on. And then he reads about this man named Jesus. And he is struck by how tender and kind and loving this Jesus figure is. So he says... Uh, he writes this about what he saw in Jesus. He says, He saw so much benevolence, mercy, goodness, and sympathy with miserable men in our Savior's conduct that I almost shed tears. So here he is confronted with the beauty of Jesus. And this sets in him a foundation where for the rest of his life, he's going to feel this despair, this depression, this sadness. But... We'll see later, we're going to read some of his, uh, a line from one of his songs where he says that the God's redeeming love is the theme of my life. So here in 1763, this is where it begins. All right, so um, before I go on, can I ask someone to turn the heat down a bit? Is it like 95 degrees in here? You guys feel it? <laughs> All right, uh, so, um, so after, so let's move on. So it's in 1765, when he got out of the insane asylum, he moved in with a family called the Unwins. And the Unwins, they were a pleasant family. Um, they lived in a town in England called Olney. And in Olney, there resided a guy by the name... There was a pastor of a church by the name of John Newton. Have you guys ever heard this name, John Newton? Yes. You have. What's his claim to fame? This is the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. The former uh, slave trader... Uh, converted into a believer in Christ. He became a pastor in, in this town. And um, people say that he was not, uh, he wasn't a great preacher. Um, and people said that, you know, 
People would respect pastors, but John Newton was loved by his people. It wasn't because he was a great teacher or preacher. It was because they sensed in him a gentleness and a genuine love for his people. So John Newton heard up. So uh, this, the father of this family that that William Cooper lived with, his name was Morley Unwin. Morley Unwin fell off a horse and died. John Newton heard about this family whose father died, and he went to visit them. And this set the stage for the most important important uh, period of of William Cooper's life, which was that John Newton befriended William Cooper um, while he was ministering to the Unwin family. And this is this is where this beautiful friendship began. And so now Will, John Newton is going to play in a super important part of William Cooper's life. So let's move on. Um, John Newton, as Dorothy pointed out, was a songwriter. He wrote Amazing Grace. He also wrote very many other songs. And he knew that William Cooper was this very, um, like, he, he loved poetry. So he he said, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, because I know that William Cooper, he's just kind of holed up in himself, and he's depressed, and he, very, he was very introspective. Um, so he just kept on thinking about how bad his situation was. So he, John Newton said, I'm going to kind of engage his creative side again. So he said, hey, William, would you like to write a book of hymns with me? So in, in 1769, they began to work on something called the Only Hill Hymns. And there were a number of really um, famous hymns that were written during this time. They were... Uh, Published a few years later, um, uh, one of them is actually. Let me uh, let's go to um, turn to the back of the page. Let me read to you one of them that was published. Um, this was actually published in 1772, but I think this was written during this time in the late 60s. Uh, Where is this blessedness I knew when I first saw the Lord? Where is this soul refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed! How sweet their memories still, but they have left an aching void the world can never fill. Now, if you pay attention to the words here, he notice he he mentions past times in which he knew blessedness, in which um, his soul was refreshed. He talks about when he used to enjoy the peace that he had with God, and then. But if you if we consider what his life was like, we know that he's referring to previous times in his life when he felt this the the peace of God. Um, he asked these questions: Where did these times go? Um, there's more to this hymn, but they talk about Jesus, and uh, we'll read more about how he, um, or we'll hear more about how he, how Jesus forms the anchor for how he thinks about these things. So, um, so let, let me move on. Uh, in seventeen. Okay, actually, let me let me go to read the next one as well. The Return of Joy. And this is... Um, I, I visited a website called hymnary.org, and it, it has all these old hymns in it, and it tells you, like, how many times certain hymns have appeared in... have been published in hymn books. A lot of William Cooper's hymns have been published, like, in... back in the 17 and 1800s. Um, like, I think there were, like, 27 or 30 hymn books that his poems were... poems or songs were published in this one called return of joy was published in two because i think people were not comfortable 
hearing about stuff like darkness covering someone's mind, but this is one of the lines from this hymn. When darkness long has veiled my mind and smiling day once more appears, then my Redeemer, then I find the folly of my doubt and fears. He says that there was darkness that veiled his mind and it will continue to veil his mind. In 1773, as he was sleeping, he had this terrible, terrible dream. And we don't know exactly what it was, but he refers to it as the fatal dream in his life. And this was this was an anchor point in his life because for the rest of his life, he always remembered this dream. And he can't explain what exactly happened in that dream, except that there was someone that came to speak to him. And the words were this, It is all over with you. You are lost. And this was... This swept him into a sea of despair. It was so bad that in 1773, that was the last time he attended church because he could not bear to go leave the house. He could not bear to be with uh, the rest of the believers because he was, whatever was, whatever hit him, it hit him so bad and it crushed him so much that his life was just defined by this moment. And now we have this poem. It's not a song, it's a poem. Lines written during a period of insanity. And we're going to read it. And let the, the darkness kind of seep into you, um, the pain. And listen to what he has to say about this time. Hatred and vengeance, my eternal portion, scarce can endure delay of execution. Wait with impatient readiness to seize my soul in a moment. Damned below Judas more aboard than he was, who for few pence sold his holy master, twice betrayed Jesus, me, the last delinquent, deems the profanest. Man disavows and deity, deity disowns me. Hell might afford my miseries a shelter. Therefore, hell keeps her ever-hungry mouths all bolted against me. Now let me stop right there. Listen to what he says about his condition. He says that Hell might afford my miseries a shelter. He says, hell would be better than the condition that I'm in. That's how bad it is. He continues on the fourth stanza. Hard lot encompassed with a thousand dangers. Weary, faint, trembling with a thousand terrors. I'm called, if vanquished, to receive a sentence worse than Abram's. Abram is the guy that was swallowed up by the earth in the Bible in Exodus. Him, the vindictive rod of angry justice, sent quick and howling to the center headlong. I fed with judgment in a fleshly tomb and buried above the ground. Uh, this is dark. That, that's the poem. Um, there doesn't seem to be any hope of redemption or saving. Um, just this despair. He says, my body is a tomb and I'm buried above ground. Interestingly, if you look in the Bible, there is a psalm that is very, that the sentiments are the same. If you look at Psalm 88, Psalm 88, when you get a chance, this is the cry of Haman. It ends with the words, darkness is my only friend. Um, these are things that people feel. These are things that the Bible validates. We will feel deep pain sometimes, deep despair. So much so that it might seem that hell is better than what we're feeling. 
so this is thankfully William Cooper articulates this for us. Um, so let's go on in his life. In 1779, the only hy- only hil- hymns are published. Uh, this is uh, kind of a remarkable book because it contains the works of William Cooper and John Newton. Um, they they uh, th- there's so many good songs in here that we still the church still sings. So let me uh, let me read to you guys this this hymn. Uh, God moves in a mysterious way. Have you guys ever heard this song? God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. Um, I think part of the reason why we don't hear this song that much is because I went on Spotify a few days ago and I typed in a song and I listened to maybe like 14 versions of it and not a single one has a tune that's good. Um, I think that might be part of the reason why we in the 21st century don't sing it as much. But the words are so rich. So if any of you guys are songwriters, you might want to uh, take your try your hand at writing a melody to the song. Um, but this song is, even if if we were just to memorize it, I think that would be so good for us because there are times when it seems like God is not working, or if God is working, we don't see how any of this makes sense. But here, William Cooper, he writes this song. He says, God moves in a mysterious way. We will not understand our sovereign God. Our God, God doesn't think like we do. He sees so much more of the world and of our own life than we can understand. So let's look at what he writes. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye dread so much, the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Let me read that again. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Um, this to me is beautiful, because it acknowledges that there are times when we're filled with dread when it's difficult for us to trust him when it seems like God is not smiling on you it seems like God's face is uh, either God has hit his face or God just doesn't care about us but he says here behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face this would not have been written if William Cooper did not feel the pain and despair that he did. And I think we would do well to remember stuff like this, songs like this, poems like this, because they will carry us through times. Um, William Cooper eventually made it through, um, not in his life, but he eventually made it through. And the reason why we need to 
go to church, the reason why we need to talk to our friends, the reason why we need to read books and listen to music is because we need to be reminded that God is good. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote, We read to know that we're not alone. And none of us are really alone in this great big world. Uh, Our stories are, we all have unique stories, but at the core of it, uh, everyone feels loneliness, everyone feels pain, everyone is discouraged. Um, And William Cooper is is our friend along this journey. So let me move on. Um, so in 1780, remember John Newton, he, he spent a significant amount of time with William Cooper. He would go on long walks with him that would last for hours. He would spend time with him at his home. He would just invite him to his home and they would eat dinner together all the time. They would write letters to each other. Um, so if not for the presence of John Newton in William Cooper's life, William Cooper would have gone further into his despair and darkness. Um, but in 1780, John Newton, he took another position at another church, and he moved away from William Cooper, and uh, they still remained friends. They still wrote to each other all the time. But it was during this time in 1780 that there was a shift in William, in John, in William Cooper's life. He, it gave him more time to write. It gave him more time to think about the things that were happening. And he wrote a lot of he wrote a lot of uh, poems that were published, and he actually uh, these were he wrote poems that were became famous um, in the U.S. Um, so there was he kind of had this international renown as a poet. Um, I think Benjamin Franklin referred to William Cooper in some of his writings, but um, he uh, he wrote something called the Task, which was a hundred page kind of sprawling poem um it it covers themes that's of revival it covers themes of um of evangelism and things that that he heard that william cooper heard um from the great awakening he kind of wrote about what he learned so he was during this time he was still active as a poet he wrote so it's not like he was um just sitting in his room all the time in despair um he he was active as a writer in 1786, there was another period of insanity, very much similar to the uh, the previous times. He felt despair again. He tried to commit suicide, by the way, um, all all along this time. Uh, even after he wrote these amazing songs, sometimes we think like, well, if someone has their life figured out, their life is good. Um, we don't have to worry about them anymore. But if you study the lives of any real person that's, that has lived life, you'll see that they've they've accomplished great things, but that doesn't mean that the problems are over. Um, that's the same for all of us, right? So uh, 1786, another period of insanity. In 1794, a final major bout of depression and insanity, and this kind of uh, sealed the deal for him. Uh, continued to write, but his subject matter just turned, and it was, it was hard for him to live. It was hard for him just to performed the most basic functions um in 1799 a year before his death he wrote a poem called the castaway and the castaway was in it he gives the image of a sailor being thrown off the ship and he's in the waves trying to swim away from the danger he's trying to lift his head up out of the water to get a gasp of air but still, the, the waves crash over him, and he's unable to breathe. And he is 
hopeless. He, there is nothing left for him, no more hope for him. Um, in the poem, there's no note of hope. There's no hope, no note of redemption either. So this is reflective of what's going on in his mind. He feels like God has abandoned him. There's nothing more that good that can happen in his life. And finally, uh, in 1800, he dies. And the day before he died, this was what he said. He, he says, I feel unutterable despair. I feel unutterable despair. The next day he died, no, there were no, there's nothing that hinted that he felt peace at that moment. There's nothing that, the people that, that were with him when he died, they said nothing that, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't peace on his face. There wasn't, um, there wasn't uh, any joy, um, but that was his life, just out. The lights were turned off, and we look at his life, and we think, how can it be that God would set his love on someone and let them suffer for those years? The last 27 years of his life were hell, starting with that dream. How could it be that God would let someone that loved him, that writes these amazing poems and hymns that still serve the church today. Where was God? What Did God just leave William Cooper? I think the answer is no. Uh, his friend John Newton, at his funeral, he preached a sermon that was based on Exodus chapter 3, verse 23. And this is what the verse says. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And let me read you part of the eulogy for William Cooper from his friend John Newton. The Lord has given me many friends, but with none have I had so great an intimacy as with my friend Mr. Cooper. But he is gone. I was glad when I heard it. I know of no text in the whole book of God's word more suited to the case of my dear friend than that I have read. He was indeed a bush in flames for 27 years, but he was not consumed. But why? Because the Lord was there. I I think John Newton says it so well. For 27 years, my friend was in hell. He suffered so much, but he was not consumed. Why? Because God was there. God was there even when he was in such pain. Uh, He goes on in his eulogy. He talks about his periods of insanity, his periods of depression. And um, let me read the the last few sentences of his eulogy. I have had hopes the Lord would remove his malady a little time before his death, but it continued. The last twelve hours of his life, he did not speak nor seem to take notice of anything, but lay in a state of apparent insensibility. But I seem to think that while the curtains were taking taking down in the tabernacle, removing glory broke upon broke in upon his soul. Let me read that again. But I seem to think that while the curtains were taking down the tabernacle removing, glory broke in upon his soul. The Lord had set his seal upon him, and though he had not seen him, he had grace to love him. He was one of those who came out of a great tribulation. He suffered much here for 27 years, 
but eternity is long enough to make amends for all. For what is all he endured in his life when compared with that rest which remaineth for the children of God? Um, I think he's referencing... He, he would die, I think uh, the question is, um, what would it look like if William Cooper were actually consumed? I think he would have died sooner, or there, he would not have been able to write amazing poetry like this. Um, he still wrote poetry. There was still beauty in his poetry, even though even if the, it was not explicitly religious. Um, his, his poems contain something that served the world. Um, we still have his poems today, and they still shine a light for us. Um, so... For whatever reason, God chose to keep him alive, even during this, this these 27 years of pain. Um, God used it somehow. Um, and then John Newton, he, he I think he's referring to the passage in Romans 8 where it says, These light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Um, so, William Cooper today, now, is in glory. He is in the presence of our good God and feels this joy that he was never able to find in his life and that's going to be the same for us we all are all in this world for maybe another 30 40 years 20 years maybe um, and there will be moments when it seems like this isn't worth it and God will say um, you see because one day you're going to receive you're going to see this glory it's going to be so much greater the goodness of what you're going to receive is going to be a million times better than the badness of what you've experienced. Um, so, that's the life of William Cooper. I'm going to read to you uh, this his most famous hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And this is where he drew his hope from. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God are saved to sin no more. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. When this poor lisping stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing in thy power to save. This is a song that we should remember, um, maybe for the rest of our lives. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Our theme does not have to be depression. It does not have to be hopelessness. It does not have to be, I toiled for 40 years at my job and my family is difficult and my health is failing. That doesn't have to be the theme of our lives. Redeeming love can be the theme of our lives and shall be till I die. And let me read for you the, his final um, final stanza again. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the, in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. We will know the power of God. We will know the beauty of God one day in full. Our eyes will be open. Uh, 
and then we'll see. Yeah, I, I see. I look back at my life when I was on the earth, and I see how God carried me through. So this is the life of William Cooper. Um, let me... Uh, let me read this quote from John Newton. It's on your sheets. Oh, with what surprise! What a surprise of joy he fi- he would find himself immediately before the throne and in the presence of the Lord. All his sorrows left below, and earth exchanged for heaven. Um, so, let me just a few lessons from his life. I have four. Number one, we should not expect an easy life. Um, I think I think a lot of us are some of us are old enough to know that <laughs> we can't expect an, an easy life. Um, I, I was watching uh, Narcos um, on Netflix earlier this week, and um, Pablo Escobar, he lived an amazing life, and then slowly by slowly his life disintegrated, and then he died in a shootout. I, I'm not ruining it for you if you're going to watch it, because this, is, this happened historically. <laughs> There's a season three. Um... um if, if if you guys look at other people's lives and you go, wow, I wish I had their life. Um, it's so great. Like, I I joke around sometimes and I say, like, people say that money doesn't buy happiness, but I see so many people that are rich and are so happy. Um, I think that money buys happiness, but it does not buy you life. It does not buy you joy. Um, everyone in this life will suffer. Everyone in this life will have a difficult time. And some people escape with less difficulty, but our life is that short in the span of eternity. It's that short. And then there's glory for us. So what is our suffering? I know it's really, it's hard to listen to that now because I know some of us are suffering a lot physically or spiritually or financially or in our families. Um, I can't say that um, without someone bristling because it just sounds so trite. Um, but God is, I won't speak from my own authority, I will speak from the authority of God's word, that God is good. Um, number two, uh, depression, doubt, and pain and suffering can affect anyone. The same way that all this affected William Cooper, don't assume that there are not people right around you that don't suffer just as much. Um, there's so much pain in this world, and there's so much pain in this room, I bet. Uh, number three, God works through the most unlikely of people. This is a beautiful thing that no matter how messed up our lives are, no matter what inadequacies we have, no matter how few resources we have, God will use us. God will use us. Um, what is who, If we look at the Bible, what does it say? Who does God use the most in this world? It's those that are weak and have nothing to offer. It's those who are broken. These are the people that serve the world the most. Because God's strength is made known in our weakness. And finally, for those of us who may not be presently suffering, but we want to minister to our friends, being present is one of the most effective means of ministry. So looking at the life of John Newton... He was a true friend to William Cooper. He spent hours and hours and hours and hours, years, 
decades as a friend to his friend. And if you've ever been around someone who is depressed, um, you probably know how exhausting it is to be their friend. It's exhausting, and you just want to take off because they drag you down as well. Contagious. Yeah, it's it is contagious. It, it's, um, but one of the one of the best things we can do as believers is just to be present with our friends and just say, I don't have all the answers, but here is a cup of coffee, and we can just sit um, with each other for two hours, and we don't have to talk. But I'm here with you, or, and we can send texts, or we can. Uh, encourage them somehow, you know, drop off food at their door and say, hey, I'm thinking of you. Um, we, we may not have all the right words to say, but that's okay. Um, just be a friend to someone. Um, don't expect that to fix everything because it won't, but you have no idea how important that may be. Um, so that is the life of William Cooper. There's a lot more. Uh, I have a book um, about his life. If you want to borrow it, you're welcome to. Um, let me open it up for qu- questions or comments before we close in prayer. Yeah, uh, it's not that I always have to say something, but I just. <laughs> 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 I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what to expect, you know, when we were talking about these uh, biographies about people. And uh, what I came out with is uh, the compassion for people who are maybe. Uh, I don't know if it's more. They, they may be seen not as much as an outcast as it was way before, okay? And, uh, you know, God used him through his poem because uh, it was worse before. Uh, you know, I was wondering what he, he didn't have these friends, what was really happening. Yeah, people, you mentioned about Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin, I think you mentioned Ben Franklin. that he expressed himself well through poem and yeah. you kind of saw the other side of him that he does feel because yeah. otherwise we're saying oh he's crazy he's like yeah. you know, he stammers and he also uh, has a list as well you know so I just say uh, he just uh, reminded me to be more, a little bit more compassionate not that I'm not I'm just saying okay, I, I will be more yeah. <laughs> it's compassion more, so. compassion is hard uh, compassion it, you know literally it means um, suffering with, right? Because the word passionate means suffering. Um, so we're with compassionate word, suffering with someone. Uh, thanks, Warren. Any th- other questions, comments? Dorothy. Um, I think, I don't know if you mentioned this in the meeting, but I have these stereotypes of like people who wrote these like great hymns and you know, authors of the Bible that they've always been so holy and so amazing and just you know, fabulous to be around all the time. And I think today's lesson is like to really start seeing our reality check that write the most amazing things are not people that you would want to hang out with necessarily. Um, And I think it's a testament to how God works through all kinds of people. Um, And so many times we think that our worth is in what we do or our ability to have large social circles or, you know, whatever um, our own idols are. And it's a great reminder that, like, we can be the lisping, stammering person that's, like, shrouded in depression and I don't know if you had other friends, but it seems like his main friend was a pastor, you know. Mm-hmm. Not that the pastor was obligated to be his friend, but, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's really, really encouraging.
that broke him, um, and he never fixed it in this life. Um, I, I, I don't, yeah, I'm not going to say that. I mean, it happens. Um, but uh, God heals him eventually. Um, that, that, that's what faith is, I think, is sometimes holding on to this last strength. Let me uh, close in prayer. Uh, God, we thank you so much for the life of William Cooper, uh, this this crazy guy who suffered so much. But we know that you suffer alongside us. Um, you are the man of sorrows. Uh, that's we cannot think of Jesus without thinking of suffering, because that's what he is—the man of sorrows. And I pray that for my friends here who uh, may be suffering, that you would be with them. I pray that they would find encouragement in the right places, God that we would always believe that you're a good God. So as we um, worship with the rest of our family in a few moments, I pray that we would worship wholeheartedly even in our depression. Uh, Be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.